Welcome to the discussion, Making the Online Experience Work Securely, sponsored by Akamai Technologies. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Dr. Bobby Blumoff. He is Chief Technology Officer and Executive Vice President of Akamai Technologies. Bobby, good to have you with us. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And agencies deploying services of all sorts, both to their own citizens, their constituencies, and their employees, or even to other government agencies, tend to maybe look at the model of here's my server, there's the user at the other end, there's a network in between, and boom, we're ready to go. But in fact, there are lots of ancillary services, either in their data centers or at the edge, which can really enhance the delivery of service and delivery of the experience. Tell us what some of those are, what some of the use cases for them are and, and how you get them baked into what it is uh, as your delivery complex. Sure, I think um, you know for many years, we've really used a deployment model that was very data center centric, um, where we would deploy applications and ancillary services, for example, performance acceleration services, um, TLS offload, caching, um, not to mention the security stack, secure web gateways, um, firewalling capabilities, uh, access identity, um, lots and lots of capabilities all were deployed in, in the data center where the applications were. Now we've been in a phase for quite a while now of migrating things out to the cloud. And we've now got a new deployment model where we can put our applications in the cloud and we can deploy a lot of the capabilities that I just described um, as virtual appliances in the cloud, which has been really a big change in, in how we uh, manage infrastructure and deploy infrastructure. And I think what we're seeing now is a augmentation of that model with the edge. Um, you know, the, the cloud makes sense for a lot of things. But if you look at the larger um, ecosystem, more and more we see that our applications are deployed in many locations, not just one cloud, maybe multiple clouds, maybe data centers, maybe offices. We see that um, our employees expect to be able to work from anywhere. Um, you know, we've been in a model now with the pandemic where people have been working from home or a lot of people have been working from home, but even as the pandemic ends, there's a strong expectation that people can work from anywhere. And then the threats come from all over the place, can come from any number of countries, any number of locations, any number of actors. And so increasingly, we see that the cloud, while it's a great answer for a lot of things, isn't the answer for everything. And there's now an augmentation of the cloud with the edge and lots of capabilities now being deployed at the edge. So maybe describe the architecture of this because you have a cloud right. and as you mentioned, multiple clouds. So you have instances of a yes. application that does the load balancing and maybe some of the geographical uh, latency reduction and so on. You might have a string of them maybe across the country. And I guess that's something the cloud services providers offer as an advantage. So the augmentation then occurs in each of those clouds or does it occur somewhere between the cloud and the user in a specific location? Right, it, it's um, generally going to be between the cloud and the user. So wherever the user might be, um, the edge is going to be, is basically by definition, the edge is the portion of the internet that is nearest to those users or those devices or those things that are going to communicate over the internet. And the edge can therefore do a lot of the um, 
the processing and a lot of the capabilities that we used to do in the data center or in the virtual data center, we can now do at the edge where it's near the end user, where it's near the device, where it's near uh, the attacker. And you know, the, the attack is, is actually a really good example of this because in the end, what you're trying to do is block the attack. And if you allow the attack traffic to get all the way to your data center or your virtual data center before you block it, well, that gives the attacker a lot of opportunity to do damage. They could, for example, take out a router that's upstream of your infrastructure. They could um, uh, clog up a link that is upstream of your infrastructure and effectively take everything offline. And there's any number of other things that they could do. The approach that we've taken with the edge is we want to block that attack at the edge near the source of the attack before it can ever get anywhere near the data center or the virtual data center to do the damage. So security is one great example where the edge makes a lot of sense. Um, you listed at the beginning in your first question a number of other examples where you might want to be caching content, you might want to be manipulating images, you might want to be accelerating, um, terminating TLS, um, you know, any number of other capabilities, you do that at the edge, near the end user, near the device, near the attacker, when we're talking about security, and that offloads the cloud and allows the system to scale much more effectively, um, be cheaper in the end, and also be much higher in performance. I was gonna say, yes, if you cache data at an edge device near where that user locus is, as opposed to in the cloud, that you're paying for, then you don't have the data egress charges as often right. that you might otherwise have without that virtual enhancement, as you mentioned, at the edge, correct? Yeah, it's good that you bring that up because I think many people have in mind this idea that the edge is really all about caching. And yes, caching is a really great use for the edge, but I just listed a whole bunch more that I think for many people that wasn't the obvious thought of why you would use the edge. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned TLS termination, I mentioned app acceleration, I mentioned image management, um, any number of other capabilities, not to mention all the security capabilities that we really wanna be deploying at the edge. And that may be a new concept uh, for a lot of people. And we'll get to that too, but I wanted to ask about some of the other enhancements because many applications deployed to citizens do involve uh, database matching, they involve mm -hmm imagery exchange and so forth. And one of them of the services is app acceleration. And I'm just curious right. as to how that might work when the app is not there. Can you accelerate an app downstream even if it's hosted upstream? Right, right, that's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, cause a, a lot of people think of, um, again, app acceleration is really being just based on caching. But today's world applications are highly dynamic much of the content is not actually cacheable. And there's a lot of back and forth communication between the end user or whatever device the end user is using um, or whatever agent is on that user's device, a browser, an application, whatever it is. Um, very chatty communication between that and the actual sort of core of the application where the, where the state lives, where the, um, a lot of the application logic might live. So there's a lot of communication that has to go back and forth, much of which is not cacheable. Um, so app acceleration involves actually accelerating that traffic back and forth, as well as reducing 
the amount of traffic that has to go back and forth. So in many cases, for example, we can terminate the TLS at the edge and then use very optimized protocols between the edge and the core application. We can use optimized routing between the edge and the core application. We can prefetch content um, at the edge. We can look at the actual um, HTML, for example, and look at what's in there and what content is going to be fetched, prefetch it before the browser even gets around to doing that so that the content is pre-positioned at the edge when the browser then goes and asks for it. Um, and a whole bunch of other capabilities uh, to boot. I've listed a few of them, but app acceleration really is, can be thought of as a whole suite of technologies from protocol optimization, routing optimization, pre-positioning, caching, um, uh, reuse of connections, uh, connection multiplexing, um, a whole suite of, of technologies that all combine to uh, accelerate dynamic and secure applications. And because a good question then at this time is as agencies look to various contracts, EIS and so on, to modernize their networks. And we've got this modernization drive going on in many different aspects, of federal IT right now, but a lot of it has to do with the network. Can more up-to-date network topologies enhance the ability to use these ancillary services to accelerate and enhance and speed up? Yeah, I think that's right. And um, I think what we're talking about is not just the network topology, but the application topology. And what part of the application logic should be executed, for example, either in the cloud or in say a core data center versus what should happen at the edge. And because they're synergistic, they work together. And I do think that a traditional model, which uses say only a data center or only a virtual data center a la cloud is actually missing out on an opportunity to be more performant, more scalable, more cost-effective and more secure if they're not taking also advantage of the capabilities that are now um, offered at the edge. And different applications do have right. different qualities. Some of them are chatty, like chat, yeah. for example, which more and more agencies yes. are deploying to communicate with people. Some of them are you know, file transfer oriented where latency and so forth is not quite as important. So perhaps the, the choice of the services and the arrangement of the applications depends on what it is you need from the application itself. In other words, not one size fits That's all. That's exactly right. And, and also, um, you know, where does the data live? Uh, you know, edge computing has gotten a lot of attention recently. And I think of it as a augmentation of the traditional core data center computing model, because the general rule of thumb when you're thinking about computing is you're really best off moving the compute to the data, not the other way around, right? It, the other way around, which is not what I recommend, is basically backhauling the data over to where the compute lives. And that can get very expensive. Um, it's obviously low in performance. And if you happen to also be under attack, then you're backhauling the attack traffic. And that's a, pretty much a big no-no. So, Rather than backhauling the data to the application or to the compute, edge computing says, well, let's move the compute over to the data. Now, you have to think then about, well, where, does the, where is the data? And there's certainly a lot of data that lives at rest in your data center. So fine, you do the compute in the data center. You may have large databases, records. Um, in some sense, think of that like uh, uh, data at rest. 
You've got data at rest sitting in your data center in a database. And in that case, absolutely, you want to do the compute right there in the, in the, um, in the data center or in the virtual data center makes sense. But if you have data in motion, well, that naturally lives at the edge. Data in motion, as in communication. You talked about a number of examples that you gave a moment ago when devices are trying to communicate with applications or when users are trying to communicate with other users or applications. Um, anytime data is in motion, that naturally lives at the edge. And if you can do the compute at the edge near that data, well, then you don't have to backhaul the data. And by avoiding that backhaul, you avoid performance penalties, you avoid cost, and also you avoid the big danger, which would be if, if you're under attack and you're backhauling the attack traffic in your data sure, center sure. and giving it the opportunity to really um, do, do damage. Yeah, take the garbage out. Don't bring it back into your garage, I guess is a good way to put it. And, I like, uh, I like that metaphor. That's good. All right. Yeah. We'll take a short break here. My guest today is Dr. Bobby Blumoff. He's the Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Akamai Technologies. I'm Tom Temin. This discussion is Making the Online Experience Work Securely, sponsored by Akamai Technologies here on Federal News Network. For over 20 years, the federal government, along with some of the world's largest organizations, have trusted Akamai for their cybersecurity solutions and delivery to their most critical applications and content. Our commitment to your mission continuity remains unparalleled, from zero trust to multi-factor authentication to secure content delivery worldwide. Akamai is committed to delivering the solution that is right for you. Learn more about how we support mission-critical applications and access at the edge at Akamai.com. That's A-K-A-M-A-I.com. Welcome back to our discussion, making the online experience work securely, sponsored by Akamai Technologies here on Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. My guest today is Dr. Robert Blumoff. He's Chief Technology Officer and Executive Vice President at Akamai Technologies. And let's zero in a little bit on the cybersecurity topics because there's an executive order on cybersecurity followed up by lots of policy statements bit by bit dribbling out of the office of management and budget i mean the scene and the temperature are raising here for for cybersecurity and in the context of what we were talking about before the break don't backhaul cyber attacks into your data center when they're happening at the edge and so forth that's i would say a best practice what are some other best practices agencies should be using uh, with their edge, their hybrid cloud, and their data center interacting environments to keep themselves secure. Right. Well, in my opinion, the um, you know the executive order is really quite remarkable. It's, in my opinion, a real tour de force of uh, best practice in cybersecurity. Uh, clearly authored by people who really know their stuff. Um, and I think there's a lot of really good content in there. And I know it was also followed up with various um, uh, uh, communication to industry with guidelines on how to secure against uh, ransomware and other types of cyber attacks. And again, from everything I've read, um, there's a real strong emphasis on cybersecurity best practice. And I think... Um, best practice that, that really resonates very strongly with me. I believe the, these, um, these guidelines really are focusing on the right ideas. And in the executive order in particular, there's a number of things in there, um, including things related to um, uh, software development lifecycle, um, bill of materials, communication, um, investigation, a whole bunch of things, as well as 
uh, zero trust and um, multi-factor authentication. And those are probably good ones for us to maybe spend a little bit more time on. Um, in my opinion, those are both zero trust and multi-factor authentication, really capabilities that live at the core of any good cybersecurity defense posture. Yeah, let's talk about the idea of zero trust first, which means that each session has to be authenticated, each user right. movement or going on to a new application needs authentication, you don't trust anybody. And can that interact with that edge computing model where we were saying that move the data to where the, sorry, move the computing to where the data is, if that's you know the appropriate measure. So how does zero trust and the application of the authentication itself, I mean, authentication is an application in right. some sense to look at it technically. How does that work in this edge hybrid data center model? Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of language out there around zero trust and what it is. Um, in my opinion, I really think of um, zero trust as essentially a very strong form of the ages old principle of least privilege. And there's really very few concepts that are more important in cybersecurity than least privilege. Never give anybody or any device or any entity any more privilege than it absolutely needs to get its job done. Um, and, you know, even as an, as an executive with a company, you could ask for privileges. And of course, you'd be granted them because you're an executive by virtue of your status in the company, you could be given these privileges. But the better answer is, is no. The better answer is to not give people privileges that they don't absolutely need, even when they're executives. Um, and zero trust really takes that to a very um, deep point. Uh, and it's very different really than the traditional network-based access model where traditionally users are given more privilege than they really need. Um, and that's where the term trust comes in because in some sense they're being trusted in a manner that I think is antithetical to this idea of, of um, least privilege. And, and the example that I'm trying to give here is, uh, is the one around network access where traditionally when you wanna access say um, corporate applications or, or agency applications, you're given access to that corporation's network. Once you're given access to the network, well, you can look around on that network, you could probe the network, you could look for vulnerabilities. Now, you might not do that because you're a good person, but what if there's malware on your machine? What if there is somebody who has compromised your machine? Anything you can do with your machine, well, they can do. So even if you're a good person and you're not going to take advantage of these privileges, bad guys might. And why do you need the privilege of being on the network? You don't need that. You don't need to be able to, well, maybe if you're a network administrator, you do, but most of us are not network administrators. We don't need network access. We need application access. Zero trust says, don't give network access, instead give application access, give access only to those applications that the user is entitled to use. And that is a really critical point. And the edge can actually be the place where you implement that. You make the decision on whether or not you're allowing this person to access the application at the edge, right near them. So they never even get beyond that edge component if they're not actually allowed to use that application. A very strong form of least privilege and one that I think is really um, a cornerstone for a good cybersecurity posture. 
sure, in many ways, a new take on the idea of defense yes. in depth, which is keeping that outer perimeter really out there. And what about for multi-factor authentication stressed by every agency nowadays and, of, of course, in the executive yeah. order? Is that also yeah. an edge occurrence in the best Yeah, it, it can be. Um, and I do think that um, we really need to be looking at multi-factor authentication and the use of passwords and trying to move forward in terms of how it is that we um, authenticate users. Because zero trust really can't have any power if you can't have strong authentication. Because the zero trust component, this, this thing that lives at the edge and only grants access to those who, are, who, are, um, who should be granted access, well, you need to know who they are. And you need to very with, with um, a high degree of assurance, assurance, know who they are. And that's where the uh, multi-factor authentication comes in. That lets you know with a very high degree of assurance that I am indeed Robert Blumoff, CTO at Akamai Technologies, for example. And it's such an important um, capability. And, and, and it also needs to be implemented in a way that's strong, because um, I can tell you, we've seen implementations of multi-factor authentication that are actually easy to get around. Um, we see phishing kits out in the wild that actually have multi-factor authentication bypass built in. They literally, the phishing kit has MFA bypass built in. And that's because they're taking advantage of weak forms of MFA. So when we think about MFA, we really have to think about fish-proof forms of MFA, which means using the right cryptography, which probably means FIDO2 compliance. And ultimately, then what we're looking for is FIDO2 compliance that's easy to use because if it's not easy to use, nobody's going to adopt it. And, and so in my opinion, that's where this needs to go. Uh, zero trust combined with a very strong form of multi-factor authentication that's easy to use. Because I would think that one of the dangers is the traditional man in the middle type of attack yeah. where factors could be uh, uh, intercepted rather, right. or you know, wrong code sent and something happens and you can imagine all sorts of lurid outcomes there. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're all familiar with those. We've all used um, web applications where they want to send you an SMS with a code, um, something like that. Those are really easy to fish. Um, and I've seen people, by the way, come to the wrong conclusion, which is that that means that you can't use your cell phone for MFA. You need to, the cell phone is an insecure um, um, component of an MFA solution. That's not the case. It's simply that these particular protocols are insecure. They're easy to, to man in the middle. They're easy to fish. Um, if done right with FIDO2 cryptography, the cell phone actually can be used as an agent in multi-factor authentication. And what's nice about it is it's something we all already carry. It's not an additional thing that we now have to carry, worry about losing or anything like that. We all already carry them and they've all got um, biometric built in. Every cell phone out there that anybody's using these days has biometric built in. So treat the cell phone then as a peripheral and as that outer layer of security that we mentioned before, like any other edge device. Exactly. Again, and what I really like about it, it's ubiquitous. We've all got it. It's got biometric uh, built in. The key is we really just have to get the cryptography right and make sure that we're using something that's FIDO2 compliant. Don't use SMS, for example. Got it. Well, you've given us a lot to think about. So I want to thank today's guest is Dr. Robert Blumoff. He's Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at Akamai Technologies. I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Akamai Technologies.
Thank you for listening to the discussion, Making the Online Experience Work Securely, sponsored by Akamai Technologies on Federal News Network.